Paul has strategies, and God sometimes breaks into his strategy. Jesus said, they will deliver you up to prisons, take you before governors and kings, and that will be a time for witness. In other words, even when you haven't planned for it, God is going to use it as an opportunity to witness to his name. What could be brighter than the sun? Only the glory of God through his son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul takes his opportunity before King Agrippa to testify of that great light, his fateful encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. That defined Paul's conversion and calling. Welcome to No Falling Word with Liam Gallagher. The problem of this age is that the God of this world has blinded the unbeliever. Just as Jesus commissioned Paul to go out and heal that blindness, our Lord has commissioned the church to do the same. Turn to Acts chapter 26 as Liam Gallagher outlines Paul's testimony of the life-giving word, the light that opened the eyes of the lost in that day and continues to shine on an unbelieving world today. Jesus appears to Saul as he was on the road to Damascus. And what the apostle now is saying, now is Paul, is saying to King Agrippa is a number of things, quite straightforward. First of all, Christ the King revealed himself to the apostle. Christ the King. There was a revelation. There was this blinding light brighter than the sun in its strength. What light is greater than the sun in its strength? What brightness is brighter than the sun in its strength? Answer, the glory of God is brighter than the sun in its strength. And Paul saw the glory of God. God appeared to him. There's more. First words of Jesus were, verse 16, get up on your feet, stand up on your feet. That was exactly the same command that God gave to Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament, when Ezekiel saw the brightness of the glory of God and he fell face down when he saw the glory of God. God said to Ezekiel, I'm going to quote here what God said to Ezekiel, son of man, stand up on your feet. I am sending you to the Israelites. Jesus said to Paul, I am sending you to the Gentiles. God said to Ezekiel, I am sending you to the Israelites. You must speak my words to them. Here is Jesus explaining the purpose of the revelation. I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Servant and witness. Those two words used here in a sense bracket the whole of Luke's work because he has begun his work back in Luke chapter 1 talking about writing a narrative of the things that have been accomplished amongst us just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers or servants of the word that was delivered to them. So what Luke is saying is, Paul belongs to those people who were witnesses and servants, eyewitnesses and servants, that is, eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. 
and servants of the word of God delivered to them. But he's saying more than that. Not only is Jesus, does Jesus stand among those people who were witnesses of these things. He saw the, the risen Jesus and was a witness to that. But what Luke is telling us is that Paul's call by Jesus is distinctive in that his call more closely resembles the call of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and other Old Testament prophets. Because his ministry is going to have similar weight to their ministry. He's called by name twice. Saul, Saul, just as Moses was called by name twice. Samuel was called by name twice. He's commanded to stand on his feet as Ezekiel was commanded to stand on his feet. He is promised that he will be rescued from harm by those to whom he will be sent, just as the Lord promised Jeremiah that he would be with him and rescue him from harm. And he has this distinctive ministry. Do you notice? He has this distinctive ministry in that he will be an instrument of the will of Jesus, a servant of Jesus, offering basically being an assistant, an assistant to the risen Lord, an instrument of his will, giving faithful, sacrificial service to believers and unbelievers in Jesus' name in face of opposition and persecution and deprivation. And as a witness, that's a servant, as a witness, he stands beside all those other apostles as an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, A witness, notice the language Jesus uses, a witness of what you have seen, but also a witness to what you will see. For there will be further revelations from Jesus, further manifestations of Jesus' power to be given to Paul. There will be new depths of truth that will be unveiled to the eyes of this man, which he will pass on to us. And everything, everything, do you notice in the context? Everything that he passes on to us can be tested against what has already been revealed by the prophets and Moses. You see, he says in verse 22, I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what was, what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. This was not new truth. This was all truth illuminated by the Spirit of God. He was commissioned to be a servant and a witness. He is commissioned in terms of an apostle and a prophet. He had a revelation from Christ the King. Second, his task is to open the eyes of unbelievers. Look at this. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, that word sanctified there is used in a covenantal and corporate sense. It has to do with uh, people who have been set apart by God. God has put a fence around them and said, these are my people. It is an objective 
sanctification. Sometimes we use the word sanctification in a subjective sense. We're thinking about being made holy, of growing in holiness, growing in righteousness, and so on. But the Bible often uses the word, perhaps primarily uses the word, in an objective sense of people or things that are set apart for the exclusive use of God himself. So, for example, in chapter 20, verse 32, Paul indicates that the word of grace that he preached would give to these people an inheritance among those who are sanctified, that is, set apart. God has put them to one side and said, these are mine. When Paul is writing the Corinthians, they're not a very good lot. This Corinthian church is a bit of a ragbag church. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not your favorite church. It's your church from hell, to be honest. But even writing to the Corinthian church, Paul can write about these saints there. He can say about them that you have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart for the forgiveness of sins. Set apart to have faith in Christ as Lord. That's the, the big goal. So Paul goes then armed with the Word of God, and this Word of God is a creative Word of God, and he goes out specifically to address the issue of unbelief and its effects, to open their eyes. See, this is the real fundamental problem we face. The, the real issue that we face as the church in engaging the world is not is not that if we use simpler language, if we used more illustrations, if you had a funnier minister, if you had, or a trendier minister, or you had, you know, the most trendy and wonderful technical means of communication, that somehow or other, that would make it easier to reach people who are outside of Christ or unbelievers. Now, that doesn't mean we've got to make it harder for them. It doesn't mean we've got to make it more difficult for them. But the fundamental problem, you see, is this. The God of this age, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the lightness of God. That's the problem. Spiritual blindness. And Jesus says to Paul, I'm sending you out because I want to heal that blindness. That's the goal of evangelism. And we go out with what? We go out with the word of God, the word of Jesus. Let me tell you what the word of Jesus does. Jesus says to a blind man, see. Jesus says to a deaf man, hear. Jesus says to a lame man, walk. Jesus says to a dead man, Lazarus, come out. And he comes. Jesus' word, this word, this word that we preach, this word is a creative, life-giving word. We go out with this word. And the Holy Spirit is pleased to take this word of our testimony and use it as the means by which we break the barriers down and the word of God opens eyes. People move. They see. Look, this is, look how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4. It is God. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. 
who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God said, let there be light. Let me tell you this, we go out, go out with the word of God. We speak it indiscriminately to all who will hear. And God in his mercy attends our frail, human, fragile witness whenever we have the opportunity. Our witness is a congregation of God's people week by week. I expect, I expect, I hope you expect as you pray that as I'm preaching the word of God and as you're nodding your head in agreement with that word and as we are united together as a congregation in proclaiming this word to the world, I expect that there will be those who along with the speaking of the word of God, will hear the voice of God saying, let there be light. Let there be light. That's what we pray for. That's what we pray for. Paul says that Jesus had told him, I send you out to open their eyes. He couldn't open them himself, you see, but he's a vehicle, an instrument that God uses. Why do their eyes need open? Well, so that they, this is the third thing, so that they would turn. Unbelievers turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Light, do you notice? Light, which has been my subject earlier. My little, my little side dissertation there, just to kind of keep you awake. Light is important in Paul's testimony. The illumination of Paul on that Damascus road when he saw this blinding light from heaven. That was important, not just because it actually happened. There were other people there, they saw it. Everybody saw it. That was an objective revelation of God. It wasn't just a psychological experience in Paul. It wasn't just a moment of illumination. You know, people talk about having a moment of illumination. Penny drops, suddenly they see something they didn't see before. That wasn't what it was. This was an objective reality. The light shone, everybody saw it. They were terrified. It was objectively true. But that light that was objectively true was also a powerful, powerful symbol of this new calling of Paul. The Lord, who in Isaiah said he would open blind eyes and bring people from darkness to light. This God who'd said that in Isaiah 49 was going to spread the light of salvation through Paul because he spoke of and he spoke for one other, another, Christ who rose from the dead to proclaim light both to the people of Israel and to the Gentiles. Paul's gospel, he tells us, is comprehensive in its benefits. It releases us from spiritual ignorance. But it also frees us from the oppressive tyranny of our greatest enemy, Satan. And Satan's great hold on us, Satan's great power over us, is the power of our sin. You see, just think of a moment. What do we mean when we talk about the devil? What kind of creature is he? Well, the Bible introduces him right at the very beginning of the Bible story. Without giving us a lot of details about him, he walks onto the stage as a serpent. And what does the serpent do? He is a deceiver right from the very beginning. What happens to Eve? 
she is deceived. Adam, he sins. He knows what he's doing. He sins in rebellion against God, but Eve is deceived. The devil deceives her, lies to her, and she buys his lie. Every false doctrine, all false teaching, every false prophet, every religion, other than that revealed by God in Christ in Scripture, is a lie. Every philosophy, every speculation, everything that turns the attention of men and women away from the things of God is a lie. It is the work of Satan who deceives, who blinds the minds of unbelievers. It's a reality. He's a liar and a deceiver. He is an accuser, the Bible says. He accuses us. He points out to God every time you sin, every time you think something you shouldn't think, every time your attitude is wrong. He's there. He's jumping down on that. He wants to point that out to God. He wants to accuse you before God. Day and night, he accuses you, accuses you, accuses you. Because he hates you. The power of Satan. Not only that, but he accuses you to other people. About things you didn't really do, but look as if you might have done. He spreads lies about you, or he encourages other people to think badly of you. And for those of us who are sensitive, he accuses you to you. He brings up to you the stuff that you've done that's wrong, that's already been pardoned and forgiven, that you've confessed and been forgiven for. He brings it up again and again and again and again and again, and he makes you miserable. He kind of puts you on mute. You can't say anything because you feel so, much, so guilty. He puts you on pause and you can't do anything because you feel so guilty. He is an accuser. And what the Lord Jesus does in the gospel, let me tell you this, is... He tells you the truth and brings you out of ignorance into spiritual understanding. And he silences the accuser before the throne of God above. I have a strong, certain plea, a great high priest whose name is love ever lives and pleads for me. Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. He silences the devil. He deals with the power of Satan to bring us to God. His, this is the, the great message that the apostle preached to the nation. Well, let's wind it up. This spiritual blindness, this darkness is something that Satan encourages, and this is the position of men and women. Do you know, let me just say, make a comment here. It's kind of a, I know you're not used to me doing this, but it's kind of an unrelated comment. And we'll throw it in anyway, okay? Very often as Christians, we are tempted to listen to the arguments and the way in which the world reasons. Take, for example, the whole area of scientific inquiry. We have a great respect, I have a great respect for scientific inquiry. But we must never for one minute think that sin has not infected 
and affected. The mind's powers of reason outside of Christ. If we believe in sin, sin has affected every part of us, even our powers of reasoning, ability to philosophize, these things. The way the mind works is as affected by sin. You can't think for one minute that somehow or other reason escaped the fall. Hmm. So we've got to be careful that we guide our lives not by our own reason, within, within limits, of course. God has given us reason. As long as our reason is submitted to the revelation of God, the revelation that God gives comes first, and our reason is informed by revelation, and then, in prayerful submission to God, applied to all the areas of life in which we're engaged. Mind illuminated. And do you see the effects? Forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. That is, carved out by faith. The believing community. Those set apart for God. That's the church. These two things. What does the gospel take us to? It takes us to the forgiveness of my sins personally. And it takes me into the fellowship of the forgiven. The fellowship of those who've been set apart by God and who believe. Set apart, sanctified by faith in me. In other words, the gospel always gets you into church. Always gets you into church. That's the effect of it. It puts you among the people of God. You can't go it alone. You can't do it in your own steam. You have to be part of the body of Christ. So what Paul is saying to this king, I want you to see, is he's actually giving a whole word of testimony about what the gospel is all about. And he's doing it as he's done it to the Sanhedrin, as he's done it to Felix, as he's done it to Festus. Now he's saying it to King Agrippa. His two years in prison have not been wasted time. He has been given amazing opportunities. And he's taken them, he's snatched them. And here he is summarizing this great gospel, what Christ aims to do through you and me when we testify to the truth. And in our day, the church, the church in America, has been given this great task of testifying to the truth to an increasingly secularized and anti-Christian society, speaking for Jesus. That's our job. And it doesn't really matter whether people listen or not. That's God's job. Our job is to bear witness to the truth as it is in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that there is such a thing as objective truth that has been revealed to us. We thank you that it has been revealed in Christ, and we pray that in your grace the light would come on in our heads if we haven't seen that light before, that it would make sense to us. It would capture not only our minds, but through our minds, capture our hearts. And then lead to our whole will, our whole person, committing ourselves wholly to, to Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would enfold us among the fellowship of the forgiven. That we find among your people, people who are honest about their weaknesses. People who are able to confess their sin. People who don't need to pretend they're perfect. 
People who know that they're forgiven. People who know that they are at the same time justified and sinful. That God is not finished with them yet. But that they're moving inextricably towards that final destination when we will waken in his likeness. We pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You're listening to No Falling Word, featuring the teaching of Dr. Liam Gallagher. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd like to send you a free CD by teacher and pastor Nick Batzig entitled, Today, If You Hear His Voice. God continues to speak to us through Scripture today, just as He spoke directly to the Old Testament prophets. You can receive your free CD or learn more about this radio ministry by calling 1-800-488-1888. You can also write to us at 600 Eden Road, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 17601. The message you enjoyed today was made possible by the donations of listeners like you. Please consider supporting our radio ministry so that we can continue to bring you biblically sound teaching for today's world. Call 1-800-488-1888 to lend your support. Thanks for listening. Liam is an author, theologian, and pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Center City, Philadelphia, at the corner of 17th and Spruce Streets. If you'd like to visit Liam's home church, we invite you to stop by any Sunday for services at either 9 or 11 a.m. or at 6.30 p.m. No Falling Word aims to call the church back to reform doctrine and Christ-centered worship and is brought to you by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a group of pastors, scholars, and laymen who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. Every man is immortal until his work is done. Paul could have testified to that quote as he faced the dangers of his voyage to Rome. Join Liam Gallagher next time on No Falling Word as he explores Acts chapter 27 and traces the steps of Paul's perilous journey to Rome and his final destiny. That's coming up next time on No Falling Word.